When was the last time that you went to a press event? Are they worth going to at all? We talk about that and much more in this week's GHG Show. Welcome to the Glasshouse Game Show, recorded spiritually in Brick Lane in London, but actually for the majority of us in our bedrooms and home offices. My name is Matthew Jones, and I'm joined by my good friend Astrid. Oi, oi. And my good friend Samantha as well. I was going to switch it up and say something else for you, but you're both my good friends. It would be rude. Hey. If you've managed to find this video without already being subscribed, why don't you just go ahead and do that? It'd be a massive favor for us. And I'm assured that you'll continue to like the rest of the stuff that we make. Yeah, just put a preemptive like. Why not? Yeah. yeah. In fact, yeah, like it now. And then if you decide later on that you don't like the video, leave forget it alone. Forget about it. Just, yeah, just forget about it. Don't worry about a it. A massive favor. Cut that. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't we use the joke Matt's effect on our Mass Effect mm. episode? Oh, true. Fuck. Yeah, that would mm. be good. Yeah. Anyway, this is the podcast yeah. where we come up with great <laughs> ideas a week after we record them. Mm-hmm. So we've barely gone anywhere or done anything for a whole year. Hey, and I yourself. think that offers. No, oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I've been very busy. I'm just, you know, plans filling up my calendar. And I think that offers a unique and challenging position for the creators and uh, producers of video games in order to try and sell them. Um, I think that there are a lot of mainstay techniques and perceived necessities that aren't necessarily true now for promotion. Um, For instance, there's no E3 show floor. There's fewer people out in public at all. Um, I mean, if it's not outside my window, I just don't see it. Um, I think that there was a purported need to for your game to appear at events to be physically visible and have an audience discover you but i'd like to take a little while to challenge that assumption today um to talk about what developers have tried um talk about the improvements for accessibility which come as a consequence of nobody being out and things going a little bit more digital um and we'll probably take a little trip down memory lane Oh, God, not there. Oh, yeah. I said I'd never go back. <laughs> oh, God, all, all the horrible stuff. <laughs> oh, dearie I have me. to think about the things I did. That's where the next, um, re- that's where Resident Evil 9 is set. Memory just set lane. inside my mind, yeah. <laughs> so, Welcome gamers. to my twisted mind. <laughs> I've become the Joker. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, just to make sure that we're on the same page about what we're talking about today, what do you, what do you all think the point of advertising is? Oh, I love it, mate. Uh, yeah. I love I love being sold things I don't want. Um, well, I mean that's the whole point of advertising, right? S- sell you things. Actually, I would say there's like good bad advertising is trying to sell people something they don't want. Good advertising is selling people something they already want, right? Like, and that's sort of how games w- advertising works, especially because and and to to a degree that is I would say toxic because what you have is. You know, your games will show up at E3 or wherever, traditionally, 
and they'll be like selling, you know, whatever it is. But Killzone, new Killzone, whatever it is. I don't know why that's my go-to. But why Killzone? <laughs> What's it's that the your poster example? child for lots of <laughs> hype, right, complete dog shit, right? It's um, a Halo killer, so... Oh, as well, you know... And uh, well, Halo's dead, so maybe it just mm. killed it real slow. It died before mm-hmm. Halo, but you know, maybe. Mm. Um, I think though, but like that. It's like idea- when a snake is like wrapped around you, suffocating you. And yet it like it, dies, it dies from the bef- exertion. It yeah, dies, yeah. <laughs> well done, Killzone. You did it. Mm. Well, actually, and Halo Infinite's still on the way out, so you haven't quite finished it off yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think about games like that and the idea of like the the whole point of E three is to convince you. And I will have nice things to say about E three at some point, right? I will have positive things. But the whole point generally is to convince you. The, the big thing that you you want you go to watch E3 because you want to get excited about the video games and then they give you video games to be excited about and it's this reciprocative unchallenging just ouroboros of just promotion and hype you know we talk we the phrase hype train is ubiquitous in games right like people talk I don't I don't see that so much in films except where there's like overlap in terms of audience with like Avengers or whatever generally but I see the hype train used unironically all the time in games it is this thing it's like oh I'm, I'm so excited for this thing and marketing a game is almost more a part of the process than the game will be like you will spend longer thinking and being excited for some games than you will playing and thinking about them after they're released like you know like that whole process and video games I feel like have a very weird model in that regard. Like, think of how much is preview about games in a way that's not true of film, right? A film has a trailer, has a couple of trailers, then it's out, and that's it. They don't they don't have, like, critics out to, like, preview screens where they show a couple of scenes in the movie, and then they write about what they thought of a couple of scenes in the movie, and then we wait until the final review to see if what they thought of the couple of scenes in the movie matches up with the rest of the movie. Like, the way we... Oh, you say that. I have started seeing that sometimes. Do you think? Oh God! Like that yeah, sounds yeah. depressing. Uh, and, but if they if they're doing, I mean, it, it works. That's learned, why they're doing it, right? It. Yeah, they they they've, they've they learned, learned it from learned watching it from you watch, video games. Yeah. I think like, it's also and, brand association, right? It's um like some like a lot of uh, advertising campaigns uh, could be seen as somewhat ineffectual, uh, except when you think about the fact that you're seeing it so much that you just come to like like. Halo, you think first-person shooter, you think Halo, you think Call of Duty, uh, and that's because of the brand association. All of the Monster Energy cans. All of the Monster Energy cans. Both of those on. Yeah. Um, and oh, Cyberpunk, be... right? Like, yeah. Like that was oh. like before that game was out, everyone just knew that that was going to be the, a discourse black hole that we're all going to talk about, and and it's it's like self-assured, right? Because it's like if you spend enough time talking and marketing something in games, it will become the talking point. Even stuff I like, like you know, like The Last of Us, a lot of its import um, comes from how it was marketed, less than necessarily its quality, right? Like the reason that there was so much time taken out to talk about it was because it had money in marketing, right? Like. And games, and that's not unique to games, but I think games, like in terms of the marketing cycle have this really long build up and they have this inbuilt process that facilitates that in a really like potent way that I don't think is healthy. I just but I do think games are very good at marketing themselves in a lot of ways because and part of that is down to a, a can you know a consumer base that just wants the next big thing, right? 
So they, you know, you've got a lot of audience who who will go along with the hype, you know, and you've got it to degrees like, you know, the E3, the big thing was E3 is like, you'd put out a trailer and at first the trailer's like, oh, what is this? It's mysterious. And then, then you put in a little logo of a thing that people recognize and they're like, oh my God, it's the thing I already liked. And now there's another one of the thing I already liked. And it's, um, it's a very like cynical way to market in a way like it's, it's bleak in a lot of ways because it doesn't invite you know like it, it traditionally in terms of e3 and these big events and this heart marketing cycle that we have doesn't really invite like critical perspective or anything it's not you know it's not a question of like oh that game looks interesting and then slowly builds up hype as is the case for some games i think that happens with like independent stuff all the time but in terms of your big stuff, it's just assured, like, they've just spent enough money and they've been loud enough that you absolutely, this is the thing that you'll be talking about forever long and there's no escaping it. Like, you, and you can't not because outlets thrive on the SEO and they've got to do the previews because they need people on their site and stuff. Video games, the ecosystem of video games and how they're marketing is fucked, basically. And not like you can you couldn't drive in you could it was very difficult to drive into london without seeing like a 50 foot tall skyrim poster um a few years back and now that game is coming it that game has been releasing for the next 10 years and everyone knows what skyrim is and everyone's fucking sick of it but to hear us knows. todd shut it yeah. down make a new game not me i'm just like more skyrim i haven't yeah. played in 10 years but you know what put put on everything put on a watch go for it Go wild. The uh, the thing that you had said about like the the E3 hype train. Um, I remember when I stopped watching the E3 press conferences, um, and it was me remembering the feeling of the first Watchdogs when they'd um, they'd put, like shown it off, oh, yeah. and I remember this like quite subdued um, like hacking thing and feeling like oh cool like um this big triple a game is going to try and do something that doesn't involve any shooting or anything like that yeah. seems like really interesting and then like halfway through it they just bring out a pistol and i'm like yeah oh cool i do know what this game will eventually be even if it has illusions to be something grander it will yeah. like not be um and um so i I'd, I'd switched off and a couple of years later, I remember being in a CEX trying to like buy a controller. And the girl at the counter said, like, oh, is there anything that you're really excited about? I'm like, no, nah, you know, I just want to play some Mario. Uh, and she says, like, oh, man, I'm like, I saw E3. Like, I'm so excited for Anthem. And I'm like, uh, I don't know what that is. Like, I, I haven't <laughs> been exposed to the thing that would get me excited about this thing that eventually turned out to not be very good anyway like that that she had been convinced to buy something that would not reveal itself to be any good for like another year and a half at that point and not, is, not to kick a dead horse but like cyberpunk is the, the the it feels like cyberpunk is the like the fucking peak of this whole thing right because that was a game you know the pedigree of the developer you know like seemed and the whole thing seemed so sure that cyberpunk was going to live up to the hype the hype got to ungodly levels and this isn't you cyberpunk was not the first game that's had this but it just felt the one where so transparently how transparently toxic this train is where because the downside of it is not just that people end up disappointed with a fucking wonky game at the end of the release it's that there's a whole you know thing of toxicity that goes along preceding that of people shouting down naysayers, shouting down critics, 
then even on release like either they're really upset that the game didn't meet their expectations which is no good for the people making the game or they've got to delude themselves into saying that the game is meeting their expectations because they've just spent two years building their identity around also, it. Also, with the greatest respects to the to the person working at that CEX, Anthem also was complete dog shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I mean, <laughs> right? Like, they had been convinced that they wanted to buy it despite it not actually being very good. Like, the yeah. only thing that they knew about it was a very controlled and, like, deliberate marketing uh, campaign and yet no, like, discerning voices were capable of telling you otherwise. And she had to sit thinking that for years. Like, I actually think that in some ways an over-intrusive marketing campaign is cruel because yeah. it, like, keeps you on edge and excited about something that doesn't actually reveal itself. Um, I've, I've said on this show before that I spend a lot more time thinking about the marketing of games than I do playing them, <laughs> pretty much because of that. Like, I think that, uh, the, to your point, that the experience of playing a game is much shorter than being aware of it and like checking out the news of it um it was a, a really long uh, period of my life where i tried to shut that stuff out entirely because like i just realized it was doing me no good um and now i i realize that like it's not so much about selling it but it's about the community and culture that pops up around certain big releases that i find more exciting mm. i remember um when overwatch came out um, I wasn't playing a lot of it, but I loved whenever like some fan art or something would mm. pop up on my feed. Like I thought that the world that was being created by the excitement of the fans was much more interesting than the one that they created. Game, yeah, yeah, like like Goblin Diva is like really fun, right? And it wouldn't <laughs> exist without the like the cultural property to like capitalize around. Even though I don't think the game is very interesting, I'm mm. so excited by what people do because of. Um, the game yeah, existing. Um, we kind of touched on stuff like this in our in, in an episode on uh, on queer coding. Um, hmm. Yeah, and... you should check that out. It's real good. Um, we talked about fan communities and how they reclaim and appropriate icons. It's very good. Um, mm. To speak positively along the side of what you're talking about, Matt, um, and to take a little detour into Filmland, um, The Green Knight, which isn't out yet as a time of recording and probably won't be out by the time this episode goes out, been very excited about that movie for a long time and i was thinking they've, they've had two trailers and the only reason that the hype for this movie and the excitement and buzz around it has gone on so long was to do with the pandemic it wasn't an engineered marketing campaign part of me wonders if it's actually been to their benefit because the mystery that they've generated and the excitement has now been reached the fever pitch and i am thinking about it in terms of this is the first movie that i've been convinced i would like to go back in a cinema for mm -hmm. this yeah and, um, i feel very much the same and I'm like, that's because everyone, cool. everyone's understandably incredibly horny for Dev Patel. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also that um, the experience of like being assured that it's probably going to be good is as a result of like you know who's producing it, who the stars are, like what the um, production that you've actually seen is. A lot of the hype cycle of video games is like this sort of fake idea of what the eventual yeah, product is... will look like. In terms Whereas, of the way they market it is very different, right? Because films are scenes of a movie. And you can be misleading in film trailers without a doubt. Oh, yeah. And then I think one the, of the, the things... The trailer that, for The Snowman is actually really good. <laughs> I think one of the things that I wanted to, to touch on, though, with that, though, is that I do like a good trailer irrespective of the end result, right? And this is a weird thing of marketing. I was thinking about The Green Knight and the fact that those two trailers fucking slap. Like, regardless of the movie itself, they, they sort of tell their own little story anyway. And I'm like, and I'm excited about the positive. My imagination goes off on whatever those promising regards what the actual movie is. And games sometimes get me like that, where I still like 
the version of Halo 3 that I imagined from its announcement trailer more than the Halo 3 we got. And I don't begrudge Halo 3 that at all. I don't go play Halo 3 and go, ah, what a letdown. I still like Halo 3. But I still will More relevantly, um, I, I think I prefer the version of Resident Evil 8 that, you know, we like where Lady D is following you around the entire game. The entire like game. That, yeah, but that turns out to not be true. But like, but so there's an interesting thing for me where I watch pieces of marketing. You know, Watch Dogs, the the um the original trailer. I totally agree, Matt. Like, and I was thinking about like, but the promise of that initial half of the trailer is still really potent, and I still watch that. And the idea of this low key thing where you're just round and you're just sitting hacking with phones and stuff, and it's not, you know, this triply like blockbuster. Like, there's something quite tantalizing about that, and that's still potent. I would, I can still go back and watch that trailer and go, man, that's a cool idea. And in a way, games trailers, positively, I don't think this is good in the larger role that they play, but in terms of why people get excited about them and why I still watch them, I think, is because I'm still happy enough to engage with a concept just for the sake of like, oh, that's a nice idea, even if it remains unfulfilled. And it's just, that can be disappointing, but there, I can still be like, oh, let's go. That said, when a game does just completely, like, the trailer you see is what you play, there's something really, like, I had that experience, I don't have it a lot, but I had it with The Last of Us Part 2, where I remember they showed off that one of E3, it was the, the big long gameplay bit, the first gameplay bit they showed. The kissing one? Yeah. Um, and the really gameplay section fight. they showed, Yeah. that was like, I remember watching it like, that's this is scripted this is all tailor-made none of the game will not play like that and what was kind of amazing when i played the game was like oh it does play like that and it's also not scripted and i hadn't i didn't have the exact experience they showed but the the rhythm that rhythm of being found and detected and fighting back and stuff and the way the polish and everything it's like fuck they did deliver on it and there's there's something like kind of and I know developers have talked about this in terms of a lot of E3 trailers about these, these little bubbles where it's like, we built the thing, we built the E3 demo, we didn't build the game. And, and you know, and sometimes that comes around where it's like, they then realize they can't, you know, an anthem, they realize we can't build that game. And then you get examples of Last of Us Part Two where you're like, well, presumably that we're like, this is what we're aiming for, etc. Um, so the marketing process is, is like, has this effect internally as well as externally as to like sort of what your aims are. And like, I'm sure like Bioware working on Anthem had a lot of concerns when that trailer went out and that demo went out about... How are we going to make any of this actually work? And then crushing disappointment as for whatever deadline or whatever they're forced through. They Because they, I'm I'm sure that there is a sincere effort when, those de like, when demos like that go out of like, this is the game we want to make. Like, this is the thing we want to mm -hmm. hit. And I don't feel like... I can definitely say marketing can be cynical, but I don't... I also believe equally that developers can be sincere in them trying to set a goal for themselves about like this is the game we want to make and we're hoping we can get it and then the frustration and heartbreak of like yeah two years down the line you're like shit we can't for whatever reason production technology whatever mm. it is you know it is a, a clear difference between um film and game marketing as well because when you produce a film trailer it's out of footage that you have shot and you're entirely finished with production whereas so Game this trailers. is true, but mm. I do want to point out that there are some exceptions to this when it comes to Marvel mm -hmm. movies. True. And again, yeah, yeah. talking about recent changes to cinema, maybe reflecting video game marketing, because Marvel, I mean, they do this deliberately, so it's not the same. Uh, I mean, sometimes you do see in trailers, there's like scenes that end up getting removed and stuff. But obviously, there's not a scene where it's like 
you know, like an actor that was in this trailer, you know, is no longer the movie usually. I think there's but, a, a scene in the Ragnarok trailer where like there's a like an entirely different location for one of the scenes. Mm. Yes. They've just decided it didn't happen there, but the like the beats. They green screened the it all differently. Yeah, and yeah. um they had uh, there's also the thing where they obscure the fact that Thor lost an eye. They they changed it so that you couldn't tell that from the trailer. They see mm-hmm. the air brushed out his like missing eye and stuff. So oh, wow. like there's all these obscurations of like even in Avengers um, Infinity War the big battle that they tease in the trailer of all the heroes running together doesn't happen in the movie so in a way films have succumbed (laughs) to this idea of promising an idea of what we want this thing to be more than what the end result is um, yeah, especially and it with that example of the the big fight where all the heroes do a big run doesn't happen because like you 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 were sold on like the people who wanted to watch that film were sold on the idea of the the big climactic battle happening and it wasn't presented to them in the way that they were sold it yeah um, um it well to the degree to on, not even yeah. just subtle stuff like the like the Hulk because um, they teased that the Hulk would be in the battle at the end right. And he's not like uh, Bruce Banner's in the the Iron Man suit for the whole fight. So it's like even on that sheer like like what do you want out of this movie? Like just sheer fan you know service and stuff. It's like you promise them a different ending to this movie. Like and that feels kind of cruel in a way because it's like you know because you're you're the whole point of marketing you know is on you know and I don't think this is healthy right but you're playing on people's goodwill that they you well, you're showing them a thing and you're like hey do you like this would you pay money to come and see this and support us and the fans go yeah that looks great you know so you're playing on that and then the end result is you've lied to them to convince them to go in the door and I mean presumably no one majorly cared i didn't remember seeing a big outcry of like why the fuck wasn't hulk at the end i mean yeah, I yeah. why wasn't he green why was he red and gold um personally i was hurt because i was like no why is, the why, green is boy. Why, did they, why did they make bruce banner suck mm-hmm. like but that was as much a character thing as i didn't literally need to see like hulk fight some i don't dudes, actually but... i don't have this in my notes but this is a good thing to pick up in like the way that games are marketed really interestingly like um mobile games um the adverts that you see for them are absolutely unrepresentative of the experience that you have like i don't know how many adverts for things that i've seen where you like you have to pull the little thing and then like oh lava comes down and then the thing is actually just a like city builder that you have to wait time to produce and speed shit up um and i i had read a long time ago that the reason that they get to get away with that is because these games are free to play so the Anything the version goes. that they sell you doesn't have to be representative because mm. you haven't spent any money on it, um, uh, so the, they can lie the, as much I as possible. The, I think the I think the UK law has started cracking down on that now, um, but it took them a very long time to get to that point. It's sort of harmless, I think. Right, like you know. Well, it, well I mean, I. It's sort of weird to gauge, right? Because the perspective Mm. I bring to it is I personally find those adverts repulsive. I'm not going to play anything they're advertising. So it's easy. As much as I would love to pull the the ring and have the the lava. It's also the city builder adverts where they get weirdly cucky about it. I don't know if you've Mm. seen those ones. No, like what what a description. You'll be like a you'll be like a like a log farmer with your hot wife, and then a big like knight will come along and cuck you. Oh, to be a and then the entire and then you're like. I need to get back at him, and then it like that. That's used as the spurring influence for you becoming this like big city building like mm-hmm. flat baron. Um, I love the ones as well that are like 
it's a pre-rendered trailer, but they have somebody at the bottom of the screen like pretending to be a streamer, oh, like as if they're also playing the pre-rendered thing. Like it's oh man, it's something. It, it, I, the, clearly, it works. Well, yeah, I mean, they get numbers, and that, that's why I'm sort of like cautious to offer my perspective on it because I feel so repulsed. Like I have not played any of these games ever, and so it's like I w- it would be easy for me to say, well, clearly it doesn't work and it's harmless. But I don't. But I think that would be unfair to assume simply because it doesn't work with me. Because clearly, there's a there's a popularity and a marking, and which is why they do this, right? It must do the ubiquity of it. The 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 fact that this is everywhere. This is like a, there's a there's you know it's endemic. This is how mobile games advertise suggests that it works. And I know people that worked in mobile. Um, who talk about when all I, this stuff. And they talk I want to be clear that when I say harmless, I mean like you know if they present something to you that's not true. And then you get it and you haven't spent any real money. And maybe you decide, oh, I don't actually like it. Um, Or you decide that you do actually like it and then you decide to spend some money because of the thing that's actually been presented to you. Right? Like by harmless, I mean that like it's just like presented you with an idea and then you get to decide whether or not you're actually interested in it. I mean, I mean it I has guess, wasted your time, but no more than anything else that you. I guess the other there's an out. element there's an element to this where like uh, you don't find out that the game isn't what you thought it was until mm. you've already accepted. Maybe maybe the, that is the more. terms and conditions that mean they can like. Yeah, maybe scrape you your data. Uh, like you hang out for ten hours, thinking eventually it will get to the bit where I get to yeah. pull the rings. Uh, and then that never happens. But no, but I think that's the thing. But I guess I guess what's interesting though, in terms of our discussion we're having though, in terms of mobile stuff, is that it is it's a sort of so they're they're like knowingly presenting a false idea of what their game is. And I guess what's interesting sometimes about video games, and you've heard this a lot about like there's games with long trouble productions like Bioshock Infinite, the Molyneux famously promised loads of shit for his games that never came out. And there's an interesting thing of like, okay, how much is that sincere? How much is that manipulative? And how, as critics, are you supposed to engage with that? Because, you know, like, you know, how do you differentiate between like, they genuinely couldn't deliver on what they wanted mm. versus like, they're just lying to you to get you in the door, you know? And is, is Bioshock Infinite a worse game because you can't pull out gold teeth? Or is it just a not very good game? Right? Like... If it was still good, is it okay that they didn't get to live up to all yeah, their promises? Yeah, because I guess you could, like, it, uh, on the topic of Peter Molyneux, right? Like, there's a lot of stuff that the guy did not deliver on. Uh, he made a lot of very excited claims about what he wanted to put yeah. in his game. You're going to love but that fa- dog. You're going to, the dog's going to make you cry. Fable is fucking good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's still, yeah, it's like Fable is still a good, fun game, right? It's not like not being able to plant an acorn and grow it into a tree, you know, stop, prevents that. And honestly, you have to wonder, like, well, would that even be a good game? Like, mm. you know, like, do, do I want an RPG where I sit around and, like... It's also the- weird thinking about how Speed Tree, as a, like, program that now everybody uses, if that had just come out a couple of years earlier, they could have they just could have integrated that and he would have had a tree that grows. Um, but, it, but I think what was interesting about Molyneux in terms of those promises was that... It was there was an excitement in terms of what games could be that I do sometimes miss of like yeah what if an RPG was about you like nurturing this environment and like growing trees and shit and it wasn't about just killing endless hordes of things like that was that's Dark Cloud well but like 
I, I just think like sometimes, and I think this is what talk, goes back to what I was talking earlier. Like the, the 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 promise of an idea sometimes is more exciting to me than the end result. Like Watch Dogs, the idea of a game where you just go around hacking and there's no shooting and stuff, very tantalizing. Um, and I think like it's 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 frustrating when I guess those results aren't made because it's just like I feel that we are so married to the idea of like games have to fit these certain models and they will promise a different thing to get hook you in and then they, they will deliver the same old shit you've already played basically um and uh, yeah there's a weird tension there where it's like yeah i want games developers to dream big and come up with these lofty ambitions but then it's like but it's crushingly disappointing every time when i have to then it's like, oh, a new open world game where you do all these crazy things. It's like, ah, you will collect things and kill things and upgrade your skill trees. You're a little guy. And you run around. just realized during the break that I'd produced a bunch of notes for that segment and we ended up not talking about any of the stuff that we came here for. So that that's not the definition of irony. It's close enough to it. It's actually deliberate um, symbolism. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah, we meant to intend that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, of course. We molyneux this whole segment. So I think I have a difficult time thinking about what trade shows are actually for. Um, and I think I'd like to have an, a little opportunity for us to talk about that, um, because I think that um, I think that they're not very good. <laughs> like I've kind of always maintained that there was um, an article that came out a couple. Uh, I say a couple years. It's nearly a decade at this point. Yeah. I'm crumbling into dust. Um, so Lee Alexander did this thing for Kotaku um, that was about going to Eurogamer Expo one year. I think it was in like 2013, maybe. Um, Astrid was just a, a twinkle in someone's eye. Yeah, I thought you were about I to call if... me a twink. Uh, I was very concerned. Uh, but um, I can. Um, <laughs> I wonder I if I that was know. the. I wonder if that was the Eurogamer <laughs> Expo I actually went to. Like mm-hmm. that would be funny. Yeah, the it's first possible. one I went to was 2016. So, um, mm-hmm. and I was a, I was a, a baby. So, like, use that as a frame of reference. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we, we had to carry you around to all the games and like... <laughs> in a push chair. Um, and so Lee writes about um, the overwhelming experience of um, just being at the show floor and like the like overwhelming noise and um, people just being in lines for things that they've like you know just it sounds like a really horrible experience um, and. It has stuck with me since reading it that like I don't think I ever really liked it or got it. Um, mm-hmm. I wrote something for Vice um, a couple of years ago at this point. I did, I'm doing the same thing. It's probably half a decade. I'm old. I'm 30 years old. You're not old. The world's old. Yeah, that's true. Suck it, Earth. <laughs> so this piece was about me going to um, Tokyo Game Show um, and uh, like seeing lines for games that were due out in about two weeks 
Um, yeah. And people were queuing up for like two hours to get an opportunity to be the first one to be able to, to play it. I just thought like this seems so extravagant and expensive for the end experience that the person going to it is going to have. That like wouldn't this be more beneficial for everyone involved if you just like you know sent out a pre-release build right like you, you know you just let them have it do it from the comfort of their own homes they didn't have to line up um you know they still got to play the thing is they can the, talk to their friends about it is the effective thing though i almost feel like this is rhetorical but is the effective thing manufactured exclusivity though right like it's mm -hmm. the idea of oh i got to play you know even if it's two weeks some that that's enough right like where you can induce FOMO in other people where they're like, oh, that game... Yeah, Dave got oh. to be able to see it. Yeah, yeah, and but yeah, 12, 12 hour queues to play a game for 15 minutes makes makes the game feel... Unless, like, obviously you're looking at it barefaced and you know what's going on. It, it's clear that it's, like, manufactured. But if you're mm. not necessarily aware of that being the intent, it, it makes the care. thing feel, or you don't care, it makes the thing feel prestigious. It makes the thing feel special. So um, I don't know if you recall um, when Ra uh, Valorant came out, um, there was a, a, a little bit of time where the only way that you could get a key of it was to leave a Twitch stream running. Um, like anybody who mm. had the ability to get it. Yeah. So there was still a sense of manufactured exclusivity um, because you had to just like you had to watch somebody playing it before you got an opportunity to, or, you know, uh, cynically just um, leave a computer idling. Yeah. Um, so there's still ways to create scarcity. Like, you know, you don't have the experience readily accessible to you as much as you'd like. You know, you might be waiting 10 hours to be able to do it, but you, you a little bit more, like, beneficial to you. Like, you didn't have to fucking go anywhere. So there's still ways to do that. Um, the thing that I hate is, like, you know, having to pay for the privilege to have to stand there and not do anything else. And queue and all that. Yeah. I mean, ostensibly, you could argue, and I'll, I'll refute this right as after I say it, mm -hmm. but the, you could argue that the purpose of these things is for people to, particularly journalists, to meet developers, get interviews with them, and chat with them. But I think and, that's different. For, oh, you mean that, like, they have to put them all in one place and there has to be a, just, like, financial like, incentive I to think do it? With the last year and you haven't had those press events, I think you will see that there's a lot less interviews and stuff out there in the wild around big releases and stuff. We'll see what happens this summer when things are maybe a little bit different. But last summer it was like there was nothing. And now I'm going to refute that in as much as I think often those interviews take place in carefully controlled circumstances. There's a PR person waiting at the side ready to cut off a developer before they say anything interesting. So it's not necessarily that that serves journalists well. It might serve marketing well, but it might. I don't think it necessarily serves journalists well. But if we're speaking from strictly a marketing perspective, that is something they've lost out on, is the, the generated discussion around it. Like, so for what we've missed out on um, last year, a couple of years ago now, Fuck, I don't even know how long. The Cyberpunk playable demo. They finally did a playable demo. There was so much fucking excitement and hype for all these journalists that got to play it, right? And they were the only people that got to play it. And that created this level of discourse and attention and buzz. The, in one way, it was good for journalists because now there was all these people rushing to their websites to read this stuff. They got those clicks. And then for CD Projekt Red, it was good because it generated all this noise around it. Nothing has filled that online right because you don't have that perceived exclusivity you don't have people in one place 
and you don't get have that thing where they're they're in a room with a developer and they get offhand comments everything and when you're digital only you don't there's no opportunity to get an interesting quote because it's all so carefully controlled written out planned it's very difficult to get that off the cuff comment that can that can somewhat spawn an entire article like so is that fair for the entirety of the public to be just like the incentive for um you know publishers and press to be in the same room right like if they're just there to develop a pretense is that actually like is that good i mean i it's like i i mean again this is one of those things i go back to what i was saying about um the mobile games where it's like it would be easy for me to say no because i hate being in those spaces I hate brushing shoulders. I hate sitting queues, blah, blah, blah. But I talk to people, you go and talk to me. I mean, in that article, Lee asked a couple of people, like, why why here? And pe- some people fucking love it. Some people want to go and exist in that space and be around people who are excited for the thing you're excited for. Like, cons exist, right? Like, irrespective of, like, actually publicizing or marketing anything, people just want to go to a fucking convention and talk about some... People go to conventions for stuff that's already out, right? Like, people have this attraction to shared excitement and i don't think that can exist online or sans a physical space but it's obviously very different right like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna say something oh shit um is potential is is the the appeal of a physical space through which advertising is delivered oh no the oh no the sense of community that people feel being in the same place together, all being excited about the same thing. Uh, and is that community perhaps very artificially the, constructed by... Are you doing the monologue from the beginning of The Departed? <laughs> we, we used to have a church, which is a way of saying we had each other. Well, maybe. Maybe I am. Maybe I am. Because it definitely, it definitely feels like that's, uh, like that's why Comic-Con's so huge. It's like all of these people who love the same thing, getting yeah. in the same room, dressing up in costumes, meeting other people. And ostensibly, it, it is all in the service of marketing those, yeah. those properties. And a similar sort of thing, I guess, happens at video game press conferences that the I'd public are I love to. this like, Nietzschean view of this. It's like, because God is dead like conventions exist i mean look like disc like discord servers for video games fucking huge because everyone mm-hmm. loves to get find a community to talk about the thing yeah. that they enjoy and discord servers have like been quite massive since conventions like were unable yeah. to happen yeah, um, there's no that's no um it's not a coincidence that like mm. Twitch has massively taken off this year, not just because people want to um, like watch each other play video games, but just to have a space where you can vibe with a friend and like yeah. it be very low pressure. Like if your friend is streaming, to just like pop into the stream, like just to ask them some questions and see what's up. Like that, it's now not possible. I think that's a very understandable human and just to e degree healthy way to interact with the world. You want to find your people. I get that. But I think where this becomes incredibly toxic is all that community is in the service of marketing and selling something. Bingo. And that's where you get where we have the situation. Again, I'm going to kick this fucking dead horse cyberpunk where <laughs> people like the, the community around that, you know, like you fold the, the excitement for a game. And the, and the thing is, this, this wasn't even like existing fans for a property getting into it. The cyberpunk hype was almost, you know, cyberpunk, I know it's based on a property, but cyberpunk 27 is essentially a new game. It's not a sequel or anything. 
And people were excited for this thing that they hadn't played, had not any real reason to know what it would be like, and had folded that into their identity to a degree that they had to get defensive around criticism or naysaying about it. And that's where it becomes like talks, all unbelievably toxic because not only does that happen, but the developers then have to fan those flames because they need that hype and excitement. Mm. And the thing is, what you saw with Cyberpunk was that came to bite them back in the ass because they ended up with all those people that had been chewing the legs off critics up until release. Now we're chewing the legs off the fucking developers who'd fanned all that. And now mm-hmm. you just ha- you you just generate this entire like mob of you know dissatisfied people who are now probably who probably spent the like weeks after launch tearing each other apart about whether Cyberpunk actually saw, sucked and CD Projekt had lied to them versus people were like no it doesn't suck you just you just don't appreciate it blah 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 and this is like this is the neoliberal end game of like the entirety of community can only exist as a like prelude to the sale of something yep that it's we're done <laughs> there, there's no coming back from this. Um, yeah, because how do you how do how do video games reorientate to? Because you know there is there was a lot of articles and discourse around criticizing just the marketing alone with Cyberpunk. You know, critics were you know myself included were very skeptical of the way things were being marketed and the end result of that. You know, but the developers don't care because they generate the excitement. And presumably, even with the disaster that Cyberpunk was, they still made a shitload of money, right? They still sold a shitload of copies. Um, I mean, not you know, they maybe didn't meet their expectations, maybe. But I mean, Cyberpunk enough was probably the, someone. Yeah, enough was for the, the biggest release to get like million dollar, multi million yeah. dollar bonuses. So they're not going to change this. They have no. Well, they, did, they did work very hard, you know. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. Um, but they they have that's no incentive. They got more money than the the other workers. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah, that's the how m- all more, that works. The more money you get, the more work you did. Yeah, Tr- trickle up economics. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's um, but the uh, it, they don't have an incentive, so they're not going to stop this. Companies aren't going to stop this. Gate the and the thing about that is the consumer base in response to cyberpunk, I fear will not learn the lesson there of like fuck maybe we shouldn't i mean i would love to think that a whole like a whole portion of gaming audiences became disillusioned with marketing and the hype cycle off the back of it. and presumably some will right like i don't think that exists in a vacuum right but I, my feeling is that still an overwhelming majority will just be they they will pin they, at best they will pin this down to Oh well, Cyberpunk was disappointing, but the next game mm, will deliver. Yeah, yeah, it's individuals versus yeah. systems. And the if you people want to learn who are disillusioned by all of this will just dig their heels in even harder. If you want to learn more about uh, individual faults versus uh, systems being at fault, you can watch the previous episode of the GHG show, which is about Mass Effect and somehow that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what Mass Effect's about. So mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's great that everyone's all hyped for Legendary Edition, and mm-hmm. uh, which will be out by the time where this episode releases. Um, so the, the the problem that I have with just like lining up for something that you get an opportunity experience not that long ago is that like it doesn't seem like it's doing the best of the show floor experience. Um, the reason that I brought up the uh, the Tokyo Game Show thing that I wrote was that it was the first time that I'd seen a booth for a game that was trying to sell it in a way that was different from just getting an experience. Like, being on the show floor and playing a small demo of something is not very representative of the experience that you'll have at home. Yeah. Um, and so the 
these dating games that I'd seen at T uh, TGS didn't have an actual playable demo. They had um, beautiful lads just acting out scenes from it with you. So there was a game called Office Lover 2. So successful they made another one where you just like, you're having a flirty, you know, back and forth with somebody that works with you in your office in the As game. As we do at Glasshouse exactly, all that's the time. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, we don't have an HR representative, so it's anything goes. Um, and so... In order There's a to huge sell disclaimer you. at the bottom of the fucking screen right now of the episode. That's not <laughs> how it is. <laughs> um, well, I like my queue up for this, actually. Um, yeah. Uh, so this game. Um, yeah, so Office Lover 2. Um, they just had a lad that was next to an office chair and you had a laptop that didn't have anything on. And you take turns sitting on this laptop and the lad like leans over you and pretends to be like correcting your work. Or like at some point, like bends the chair over and is like laying right on top of you. Matt, are you sure uh, you were at the Tokyo Game Show? Was, yeah, I mean, yeah, I did go to a couple <laughs> bars afterwards that had some yeah questionable practices going on. But like the the experience that you were having was like one that you could only have at the show floor, and it was also playing into the fantasy of playing that game. Um, I'm trying so, to imagine like, what that's like for some other games, like the Resident yeah, Evil yeah, exactly. experience. So, they just I, shut you in a locked room and get you. I attacked. make the same joke about like how, like you know, Marcus Phoenix from uh, Gears of War could probably do the same thing to me, right? Like, <laughs> it, yeah, it doesn't work for everything, but like, there, it shows that there is a creativity and a mm. use of space that understands yeah. that, like, they can show you an experience that's not representative of the actual game, but have that be more meaningful because it's something that you otherwise couldn't get from just yeah. like. Uh, there's also playing, yeah. there's also uh, um, something else that definitely comes into this uh, games mm. that are sort of physical exhibits in and of themselves that are only really playable at shows. Yeah, like Line Wobbler. Like, right? like yeah, you couldn't, Line you couldn't have Line Wobbler at home because it wouldn't um, be very good. But yeah, there's one I can... there's one I play called Stereopolis. Hmm. Um, a few years back, it, it was in the Leftfield collection at um, Rest. Um, next to a game where you control like you controlled a globe with a giant exercise ball. Great. Yeah. The Stereopolis was like you had 360 degree vision, and it was projected onto a to, on, onto a, a disc uh, in order to accommodate that field of view. Uh, yeah. And there, like you can't you you it would it would be difficult to get the same sort of experience in the home um, for something like that. But that raises a, a whole host of other questions about like is that an accessible form of art? Does it need to be an accessible form of art? Um, because, mm. like, having to go to a physical space in order to experience something. Mm. Um, I mean, um, the the other game you mentioned with the the exercise ball. Um, my friend Aubrey Hesselgren made it. Um, mm -hmm. oh, and they uh, they they have actually made. Um, I don't think it's been publicly released, but they have made. They did make uh, prototypes of a version that was just touchscreen stuff, oh. which was still really good. Yeah, but it wasn't. The, it, it was a different kind of game from when he would show up at a show, put down this ball, and watch people fucking fuck yeah, about with this ball. Because you have to, you got to go figure out what the exercise ball do. Yeah, and there is something to say. I think, like, I mean, this is the crossroads. Weirdly, the who who would have known we'd come here between like sort of art installation and like marketing experience, mm. and uh, and those don't have to be exclusive. I mean, like, I think you probably can make some really. I mean. This isn't a great example, but clearly shows that some people think in those lines. Remember when uh, one of the years, I think it was before, just before the PS5 stuff, 
Um, Sony had that weird year at E3 where they put everyone in a weird church. And every sort of room of the church, they had to go. The, the press, like there was a delay between each trailer. Yeah, you're right. Cross. It's a terrible example. <laughs> no, but but there's a, but they, so there was a there was like the the there was a delay between trailers because they had to wait for the press to get between each section that had been carefully done. So they had a Last of Us one that was in this like sort of dance hall like you saw in the trailer, and like um the composer was up playing the guitar, and then they would jump to the Tsushima one, and it's all like rustic, and then they'd have like the the flute player, and they we're trying for this like artsy like immersive thing which is useless for people at home who did watching this who didn't really get that and was kind of weird for press people who had to shuffle between these spaces for each trailer um great but, banter though wasn't it uh but it clearly shows though that like somewhere up in the executive level someone is thinking of this stuff like what you know what can we do that isn't just fucking put people in a room with our game and, it is, and, I, and I think it, on sheer ruthless marketing terms, it is worth thinking about because, you know, I, this is the it's the only thing you can do that you can't just do by giving people early access to your game online and stuff. It's the only thing that justifies the existence of a physical space as if you do something that is, like, immersive to that space, you know? Like, that's it. That's the, otherwise, I mean there's this weird community attachment to it but otherwise the, the the only value you're doing is like fostering this like potentially toxic community which maybe can exist online i'm not sure it's to the same degree but like um i'm sure those can exist but yeah that's like outside of that the only value you can do is like try and come up with these like sort of weird like monster hunter had the like like the food thing before i the went to World. it and uh if you work for capcom turn the video off um, but I stole a mug from there, and I wouldn't, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I hadn't been present. And now I think about Monster Hunter every time I drink out of that mug, like that you that... didn't steal. You know, oh, sorry, I just one got, I got it off lost eBay. property yeah. is another man's. <laughs> I, got, I got a similar one from eBay. Brand associative marketing. Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. think they care. Like they would have had it in their budget. So the, I'm just the Capcom agents will be around any day. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if the two of you know this, but I met the two of you on exactly the same night. I'm pretty certain of it. I could I could be wrong. But this was the RPS yeah. post-drinks thing. Mm -hmm. I had a mental health breakdown that evening and had to be taken home in a taxi. But before that... Pretty it fun. was a delight. I can, yeah. and it was. It was actually weird. The specific conversation I remember having with you was, surely we've already met. Like we couldn't believe that we hadn't already met, and we had a brief discussion about that. Um, and then we had to. You wanted the armchair I was sat in, the big cozy armchair, and we did swap at one point. <laughs> Hell yeah, that sounds like me back in the day. Yeah. Um, and I guess like. To, to touch on that that is the stuff that i miss about physical spaces is particularly as games journalists where your work is online and stuff all the time to have those spaces where you do get to meet each other and meet up and catch up and actually hang out you know um to get that many people that you in your industry in one place and be able to hang out and talk and meet each other i mean like that's how we first met um and it's very and difficult now to look make at that us. And now, like, and it's very happen. It's very hard to make that happen otherwise. So, 
that is a very sort of I wouldn't say I wouldn't say entirely selfish because I think there's healthy some healthy reasons for that to exist within the oh, yeah, games cool. media. Um, but, it, but at that point, at that point, well. it's and it's something that I've started um, so, uh, actively thinking about. Is at that point, it does almost just become an excuse. Really, it's like mm. none yeah. of us are going to be yeah. here, but we all kind of don't hate each other. So let's so I, um, let's have a nice evening. Yeah, <laughs> I've had a habit of every MCM expo for a couple of years. I wouldn't get a ticket to the show floor. I would just go to the Fox Bar afterwards. Mm. Um, and it was because the thing that I was actually interested in was just hanging out with some people that I knew from doing games writing. Like I could yeah. care less about getting like some anime voice actor's autograph. I do actually just want to like you know hang out with the person that I'd read the article of once. Right, yeah. and just sit outside in the sun in summer, and it's so strange that we had to have the pretense of there being a like <laughs> show to just be like, can we just go for a fucking drink? Like, is yeah. that is that the worst thing in the world? To, to um, just, like, in terms of like in terms of this stuff, one one thing I will point out though um, that I think is actually better and healthier um, in terms of you know this is not games media, this is actually games industry, but um, game jams. I went to Jupiter Game Jam with Jupiter Hadley, cool person, and they they run these like they they used to run these like every year, and they would get guest speakers and stuff. And the time I went was we had Rami Ishmael came in to, to do a talk at the the tail end of it. The night before was the only reason I was there. Uh, a girl that I fancied had invited me to come along, so I went. And it just so happened that one of the people speaking the the night before the game jam kicked off was uh, Gary Napper, who worked on Alien Isolation, um, which I loved. And it was very interesting to hear about their road into games development and stuff. And we went down to the pub afterwards and had a drink and talked about games and stuff. And they convinced me to go to go into the game jam the next day and make a game, um, which I did. <laughs> like, and. That was a super positive experience, and I think what was a nice contrast with something like that versus, you know, because you're talking about the pretense. I think what I liked about Game Jam was there was no pretense. People were there to make games as well, and it was a really just nice thing of, like, everyone come together, you get to hang out, you get to build something, and it... You know, I feel like game jams in a way... I don't know if there's a possible equivalent for games journalism, but it does make you think, like, is there actually just something that we can make that is just actually for that space? that We don't... The pretense, whatever the reason is that we're all there, is actually valuable and constructive instead of just, like, yeah, we've got to do, like, quasi-PR for fucking Ubisoft's next AAA open-world thing just because really I want to go down to the pub afterwards meet and meet some, some journalists. people and hang out yeah yeah, yeah. Know, is there something that we could do like maybe this is just us like having a conversation about like things that you know we have a physical space I'm there we right do. now it's great like I yeah. maybe we also you know have some podcast production equipment that sort of thing it'd be amazing to you know we can't really run a game jam because none of us know what the fuck we're doing. But I can. I know like, people who know how to run game jams. Yeah, um, but I mean, like, uh, if we. Were I installed Blender it, like, last week and I've opened it at least two hey, times. Hey, hey. I mean, we can there. still, we can still, we can still cheer and like have a look at what people have made. Um, mm -hmm. But I think, I think definitely we have this physical space, um, and it would be cool to. Mm run some things where i think particularly what i would like is just low stakes like in terms of you we're not here to sell all this stuff 
we we can be quite honest about like hey this is just a, an opportunity to build some community about games mm-hmm. and get some people in the same room yeah. um i think it's definitely worth uh sort of maybe maybe mentioning um is a lot of the time it does feel like the reason game events like this are the thing that games journalists use to socialize with their peers is because much like the games industry at large there is a sort of crunch culture um surrounding oh that you have to fit in your yeah, socializing like, with like, the yeah like like games journalists like games developers are um often overworked uh and often uh don't don't feel like they have the time to 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 socialize with people and and you know hang out with their mates and the pretense of a of a work environment that is almost half designed to facilitate that is yeah. probably why there's such a why why there's such an appeal there why so, people have such fun memories of events like this is because it was an opportunity. I've otherwise, to got wind no mates. Down. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if while we're bringing down the mood, I would I guess given stuff that we've talked about in glass size before um, and personal experience, I would be remiss to not maybe touch on one of the major downsides of. Um, physical spaces is how predatory they can be um especially for women um that there is a there's a very real problem of of people being preyed upon in those spaces and it's facilitated by the by the pretense of them that you're there for work and stuff and it allows um the people to take advantage of the power dynamics and relationships there um and people's time so I yeah so like in terms of whatever games events are that has to be part of the discussion because like that shit doesn't exist if they don't exist so yeah well at least it doesn't exist in in games in that way so I would be remiss not to mention it as like yeah like because I think a lot of women and I think you talk to a lot of women in games media about going to these events I think their perspective on them is probably a lot more skeptical and their experiences with them are probably a lot more negative than most, if not all, their male peers. So, it's um. So yeah, I feel like that has to be talked about because that is a major component of why, you know, I don't necessarily miss them a lot because yeah, there was a there was a real discomfort at times in those spaces and existing in them, and you had to live in those spaces and work in them in a way where you're switched on and sort of braced for that stuff and looking out for people and things especially once you go to post-event stuff where alcohol is involved yeah there's a very you know we talk about meeting friends and stuff but there's a very real thing of like who can you trust in this room like you know we talk about you know the games media but the games media is not a monolith and there's hundreds of people with loads of different morals and values and we there is a history of people taking advantage of those spaces so it's like i don't i don't think even even in just the light side of like oh but we get to see everyone that's not even in of itself a universal positive yeah and then sometimes you have a full conversation with somebody and later you learn that they're a tory like do you not need do you think there's like a, a games podcast somewhere right now where they're they like, do the opposite they're, way around they're thinking of us and they're like <laughs> you, you talk to them and then you realize they're a goddamn socialist Ugh. fucking ah like awful yeah and while we're on the t- the like the the downer before we come right back up it's just not actually accessible for a lot of people right like yeah you know, lo- long standing up on show floors um 
like you know access to like actual physical spaces or even just the cost of events themselves right like these spaces in order to be in a, like an egx or whatever you know it is money that some people just don't have i mean not even just the ticket right like traveling mm-hmm. down like these exactly. spaces yeah. are all, all, almost always in london around now. london yeah, yeah. Um, london itself is expensive getting down to london is expensive like it's these these things are not you know super inclusive like um and i remember actually um when before the 360 came out they did um you know to, to, this is to lift the mid um they before 360 came out they um they did this thing where they toured around and they they let you come in and play a bunch of 360 games on an xbox 360 you know this was like months before the console was out and they did they put on a show at the lighthouse which is a gallery in uh, glasgow um and they put one on there and you got to play a load of 360 games and stuff. And I'm, I must have been like 14 or something at the time. Um, I went with a mate of mine. And that was pretty cool. Like, that was like, you know, you, you like, it felt weird and good to just have something like that that happened in Glasgow that I could go and play and experience. And I didn't have, there was no, you know, because I've been in London, that's, I did not have the money to travel down to London. Um, and I think I, I think about that in terms of like it would be nice to have stuff more spread out and around the country and and you know because um, even in America this is a problem right because um, America's a bit bit a bit more spread out but then America's bigger so it's kind of like it, you know it's like it doesn't matter but there's just yeah there's a huge financial burden in attending these events and stuff. And um, from putting them together too, like I can imagine that a massive amount of pu- the publisher budget for a marketing of a game is just equipment rental. Like if you didn't yeah. have to do that, right? Like you'd be able to spend the money in more interesting ways. Probably Although, pay your workers overtime. Yeah, exactly right. Um, like that's as if that's the excuse that they would give. Like we can't give you an extra couple cents an hour just because you know we've got to rent these Xbox Series Xs, <laughs> which I'm I presume exist. Yeah. yeah, I mean we don't have one, but no. presumably, I believe I believe Who's I've heard say? tale of them on the on the the internet. Mm-hmm. Right, we got positive stories to tell, but weird, weird, fun, weird stuff, fun happen thing. Um, yeah, most yeah. most of it is just most of my positive experience with physical events and why I do kind of miss them is just been running into. Um, like I was thinking about the time I was at a EGX, first EGX I went to as Glasshouse actually, and we, I was sat in a conversation with um, with someone, and there was this other guy there, and this other guy, lovely, friendly, and then realised it halfway through the conversation, this was John McKellen who worked uh, on um, uh, observation and stories untold. Um, at No Code, um, which I adored and loved their work, and suddenly I had to, I'd be like, oh my god, I love your shit, like, I'm going to have a lovely conversation, and I think a lot about, like, those you know, and that wasn't engineered, right? I literally just bumped into him in the course of talking to someone else and I think that's the kind of thing I miss, is those opportunities to meet people that you, and get conversations that you wouldn't have, you just don't have otherwise um, I miss a lot of that stuff and that was the the upside you know like I, taking into consideration all the concerns and stuff that i've brought up throughout this episode but you know if there's a positive about it it's definitely that yeah um i was uh i was at uh, i've got two stories um one is uh very stories. Yeah, one's, the best one we one's don't have time. brief one's brief and it's on brand for glasshouse games mm-hmm. 
uh, I was at uh, I was at a, a mixer at EGX 2019, and um, one of the developers for Disco Elysium came up to me. Um, a, a couple came up to me, um, and and I cannot remember who it was because I was I was not all there. Um, but uh, I was asked, um, "Are you a communist?" And I said yes, and they gave they gave me a massive bear hug. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. If you Hell weren't yeah. if you weren't utterly convinced uh, about the political leanings of Studio Zaum, um, rest assured, um, <laughs> that, that's the vibe. Uh, that was very nice. I've um, just to take a quick break before you get into your second story, because you did just remind me. I do have one funny story of when I went to a press event. Was oh, go on. Um, going around. This was a res, um, EGX res, a few years ago. And I think it was my one first one with Games Master, and going around, going to all these previews and stuff, because you got to, you know, you got to mop up. You know, every hour was taken up with a slot for some game. Gets about like, you know, like three o'clock. I'm exhausted, and I go to the press room. I was like, oh, I'll go sit down there. And I walk in, and there's like all these like dudes in suits, um, all um, all these Japanese men in suits stood around like chatting, um, and. I there's only one seat left and it's the seat beside them. So I was like, hey, excuse me, I'm just gonna sit down. I sat down in this seat. See my and, and they started talking to me in Japanese. I do not speak Japanese. I didn't know what they were saying. What kind of With hindsight, um I realized they were asking if I was here for an interview because the seat I was sat in was the seat for Suda fifty one. Who showed up? Who showed up then <laughs> to ask if I was there to interview him? Oh. Speaking Japanese, which I did not, and I did not recognize him until the next day. Um, and it was as I was the next day, I was looking online, and somebody else had done an interview, and so I stood up to one. I was like, "Man, I stole his chair. <laughs> I stole Suda Fifty One's chair." Absolutely outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. Um. I don't know if this qualifies as a as like a convention event type thing. It was like a it was like a preview event that I got flown out to. Um, so you were to say like, oh, it just happened at a bus stop. I just happened at a bus you know, stop. You know, just no. just hanging out chip. with Hideo Kojima. Um, think about what the <laughs> on the sixty nine to Stratford. Think about the opposite of a bus stop, and that's where this took place. It was um, it I hmm. I'm not going to mention. I'm not going to say what a, the game a, a was. I'm not, not going to say. I'm not going to say who. Um, who ran the event because I'm 99% sure I didn't sign an NDA um, but uh, it's happened like years ago now so it should be fine um, we'll, the we'll see the sniper dart is just like <laughs> <laughs> um, it was uh, got flown out all expenses paid to Kiruna Sweden um, a little town above the Arctic Circle that they're currently in the process of moving three miles down the road because their iron mine is getting too big um it's uh where the it's where the the sort of culturally known swedish ice hotel is um they build a big hotel out of ice every year um and you can go stay in it and it's ridiculous uh and they flew us out and this was for a mobile game by the way this is for a mobile game it was a long weekend they flew us out they had michelin star chefs making us food every night um one i i overheard burger one of the chips, pr right yeah oh <laughs> burger and chips um uh, i heard one of the pr guys um talking about his multi-thousand pound shoe collection um 
They took us white water rafting down the the In, Kirin that's one River. Way of, that's one way of saying it. <laughs> white white water, mate, mate. The coke would have made this more bearable, to be honest. Uh, but um... <laughs> and then you gave so, the game a very glowing preview, we, and uh... Uh, we gave we we played the game for like three hours. We had a, like a three-hour like <laughs> PowerPoint about the game, um, and that was about it. Was it was the most ridiculous? Th- I thought it feels like the old stories that you hear about people snorting coke on planes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it happened, and it was a wild ride. Um, we did archery. We they made us throw axes at things. Um, I think the, 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 the game the game was PUBG and Astrid was actually just in a battle royale. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. <laughs> Thank, thankfully, Astrid won it. Yeah, uh, Astrid won. Came yeah. down a video editor. I'm here today. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I thought I didn't have any memories, but you've just jogged one of the Ooh. time that uh, insert company um, flew me out to Ireland to a disused um, like airport to go drift cars around for an afternoon, and I don't even think I wrote a preview. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's a whole different world now because like the why would you spend that money like you can just get a tiktoker to like just hang out you can send yeah. them like a starbucks gift card and they'll give you a glowing glowing review another thing you can do if you really like that video you can hit the like button and i know i talked about it at the top of the show but hit the subscribe too there's about 50 percent of you that are watching this that are not subscribed so just make it happen. You can get all the Just rest of the videos that we do and you'll enjoy them. If you especially are interested in this, you can also you can leave a comment. You can support us on Patreon as well. It's uh, patreon.com forward slash glasshousemedia and you'll get exclusive access as well as some stuff before it comes out. Um, we've got exclusive streams as well it's very there's, true. A, there's a whole raft of stuff that we do just for our patrons um, mm. and Ch- for people Chuck that haven't supported us um, just thank you so much for being it we, we did a stream recently we had our Resident Evil um, stream that was just for patrons that was a good, that was a good, that was well good, good yeah. fit and uh, thanks to everyone all our patrons who did join us for that that was lovely thank you so much to Dancy Parks for the music I've been Matthew Jones speak again soon mm.